curious uh, verse I want you to use, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. <clears throat> we were in Florida yesterday. We were there two days at our, our Greater Grace Florida conference, and it was really a lot of joy, a really sweet time. Yeah, and this was one of the verses we shared, Second Corinthians 8.5, and I'm reading from the Amplified. Not only did they give materially as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. Here, here is the main main point of the verse. Uh, we have it. Maybe we we have. Uh, that we accepted, they first gave themselves to the Lord. So, um, when we, one of the things I shared in Florida was when we were living in Hungary, uh, our, in our beginning years, we noticed that the Hungarians really enjoyed their summer a lot. And they were gone, you know, sometimes they were gone for the whole summer. They would go to Lake Balaton or and be gone, and um, our church attendance dropped, and our our work and the things that we were doing. Uh, so I I challenged them not not with the as a means to an end, like better attendance or something like that. No, but for their sake to learn something. The thing that I have precious to me is not first. The thing that I hold dearly is not first. Look at the verse. They, we expected, they gave themselves to the Lord and to us, uh, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and to us. What did these poor people do? They were the Macedonians, and they were materially poor. And Paul was, like, surprised that they were so generous. And he said, he said you, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then they gave to us. So the Hungarian story goes like this. I, I said, give your summer to God. Give yourself to God. First, and your summer, and your kids, and your job, and your future. Give everything, give all of your life first to God, and see what God will do. Uh, so uh, some of them took it to heart, and they did that. And at the end of the summer, they came to me, I mean, just a couple people, but it was more than, you know, it was um, a couple people came to me. And, and you know, when, when a couple people come to you, you know that there's more. Okay, so anyway, they said, I never thought that I could ever go to Baltimore, but it happened. I didn't have the money, but somebody in Switzerland sent me money out of the blue. And I got to go to Baltimore because I gave God my summer. Somebody else, uh, sunbathing, you know, it's a beautiful climate there. 
in the summer. But they, they said, I was in the Word, and I just had a great summer. And God did this, and he did that. And it was a beautiful, and that's what I believe, too. Yeah, and I think you believe it, too. But I think we need to be refreshed in it. You gave yourself first to the Lord, and then you had something to give to us, and that's the principle. If you give the, your your life to God, then you will have a ministry. And um, I, I listened to Timothy Keller's memorial service online uh, yesterday, and I enjoyed so much what a beautiful face-to-face service that was. And um, I loved hearing the main message that this man was a, was a small-time pastor in Virginia, in a small working-class community, but a very gifted guy. But it wasn't his gifts. It was his spirit of being a servant, of serving people and loving people. And little did they know, I think he was the assistant pastor, actually, but little did they know that he would become this great preacher and author and this incredible church planner in New York City with 5,000 people from nothing because of his gifts and his love. But they said that, that the, gifts, the gifts and the work he did is not the primary thing, but the spirit of Christ that is in you that makes you a servant and how much you enjoy but I, I feel like the enjoying of Christ isn't realized unless he becomes first, right? And we give ourselves first to him. And then the, the spirit filling us and, and satisfying us. All right, all right so uh, thank you for that. All right, so would you take a few moments and just worship the Lord in your, in your seat or... However you want to do it for a few minutes. This on. Okay. Lord, we pray for our country. Lord, communities. We pray for pastors, churches. Pray, Lord, for the gospel to be heard and be powerful. Please, Lord be powerful in the hearts of people, to change them, to change us, to be born again. Lord, we pray. Lord, some, some, of, some of us, not, we might have a, a burden for our families. We, we pray for our families, God. We pray for our families, Jesus, for our kindness, our understanding, our wisdom, our love, for our families, our firmness, our definitions, our passion, our courage, our leadership in our families, Lord, that we would not be passive, but nor would we be overbearing We'd be wise and spirit-filled and led. Lord, Jesus, we pray.
Teach us prayer, Lord. Lead us in prayer, seasons of prayer. Lord, interceding, asking, receiving, changing things, God. God, there are things in life that we just say, no, it can't happen. No, that'll never happen. No, that just, I cannot under, I don't see it. And then we come to you, God, and you say that you can move a mountain. You say that we should ask and knock on the door and seek and find. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the giving. Thank you for the loving. Thank you for the the service. Thank you for your spirit amongst us. Thank you for the school, the gym, the learning center, the cafe, the library, NBCNS. Thank you, Lord, for the, the women's ministry, the food bank, the recovery program, the grief share, the, the council. Thank you, Lord. Bless this time, Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Keep Alan in prayer as he's in Poland. Today we're going to do a message on Hebrews 11 and make some points here. I'll help you uh, with the context. The principle is that God is, God is good to us. God loves us. Christ saved us, gave us a new life, regenerated us, and dwells us by his spirit. When we walk in the spirit, as many of you do, you're learning to walk by faith, and the Holy Spirit is faithful to you and to me to anoint us, fill us, affect our life so that we love the things that God loves, which is righteousness, and that righteousness is a real thing. I uh, turn to Joel and... I was thinking if you come to this church, you're going to learn the Bible. And you'll learn also minor prophets in Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Now, therefore, also, therefore, also now, saith the Lord, turn you even to me with all your heart, with all, with, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. Now, uh, repentance is like this. I, I want to be short because I want to get to the main point. Uh, but, but I'm living my life, and repentance is when I realize the direction I'm in is not a good one. But I don't know where to go or what to do. But I stop, and I try. I, I believe God. Maybe God has something better. Maybe his way is better. I, I don't know. 
I don't know. But then God says, look unto me. So I, I look unto God, and he gives me the grace so that I can turn. I can trust him. He gives us, when, when we look at, unto God in faith, that's enough for him to give us the grace. His son, Christ, who paid the price because I don't have the means in myself because I'm, 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 I'm a sinner. And how can a sinner become an unsinner? How can a, a, a man you can't really trust become somebody you can really trust? And I'm speaking in, in, in absolute terms. Yeah, I could be better, like, I'm going this way. Yeah, I better modify my life a little bit or lose, you know, like, change it up a little bit or make some reformation, like a social reformation or a moral reformation. But that's not regeneration. Regeneration is when Christ is born in you. And when Christ is born in us, we're able, we're able to, what does it mean, not rend your garments? It was when the Jews would, would rip their, their clothes for anguish, uh, for sorrow, uh, and maybe, well, a phony repentance. You know, like a demonstration, a theatrical demonstration of repentance. But he said, don't rend your clothes, rend your heart. Like just say in, in your heart, when you're going this way, you know, it, it's not good. It's not good. There must be something better. So that's Hebrews eleven six, that that we we can look at in a second. But look at Joel two, um, thirteen, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repents him of the evil. Now, was it a week ago when we did a message on is God rigid or flexible? Do you remember that message? That was a very good message, and sometime we can re-preach that. But he repents him of the evil. God is uh, not evil. God is not evil. But, but when I live contrary to him, I find myself walking in an evil way. And when the Lord is saying, you know, you're going to reap what you sow, and uh, you're, you, are, you are walking in this way, so I, will, I am slow. God is slow to, in anger. Okay, so verse 14. Who knows if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Okay, so... Uh, We'll move move on. Here's the here's the point. Um, when when you as a believer have found Christ, this is what your life used to be. Something like this. Here's the sin in your life. This is the sin in the amount of sin, the quantity, and then here is the righteousness that is in your life, or 
you know, believing God, following God, doing the right thing. This is not uh, people believe in God in a, in a way, but who is he? They don't know who he is. Who is God? I, I don't know. He's the man upstairs. And by the way, in our culture, years ago when we say God, they knew we're talking about the God of the Bible. They knew we were talking about Jesus Christ, but not anymore. When you say God, you have no idea what they what they mean. That that God could be any number of things in their in their minds. So this is one picture. Doing the the right thing, yes, I may because it's better for my life if I am more civil. Here we could have civility here. You have human goodness. You have also the idea of pride and showing off in the community that you are a good person and this kind of thing. And you could say, you know, I'm a good person. But um, how deep is it? Does it work when you're alone? Does it work when nobody knows what you're thinking and doing? Like, what kind of life do we live? So this is how it is for us. And it's there. there's relativity in it. Uh, here's a thought. A billionaire is never tempted to steal bread. But a poor man is. So the poor man, he's starving. He'll steal bread. The billionaire will never steal bread. So when the law says you shall, you shall not steal, who is tempted more? The billionaire? Actually, he could be. He wants to steal a billion. But the poor man, the poor man, he, he is tempted more. How about a man with his, in his marriage, he has a beautiful wife, he has a very good life, he has very, uh, very, um, satisfying relationship with his wife. He's not tempted to look at another woman. But a man who has a miserable wife, miserable marriage, miserable relationships, who is he tempted more? He is. He is tempted more. So there, are, how about lying? You shall not bear false witness. I, I don't lie. I don't believe in lying. I don't think lying is a good thing. But would you ever lie? Maybe I would. You know, it depends. Rahab lied in Joshua 2. And Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, had a problem with this because he didn't believe in lying. And yet then he said, when people are trying to get out of lying and twist the story because they can't lie, but they still are somehow lying, then actually it might be better just to straight up and lie. You know, is there a Jew living in your house under Nazi Germany? You know, is there a Jew living in your house, right? Would you lie? And Richard Wormbrandt said, I do. He lies. Because he was in prison 14 years and the communists were trying to get names and information from him and he would not give it out. He said he lied and he said he did it with delight. He did it with a delight. That was what he did. He said, that's an interesting point. My point is that, that we've been transformed 
to we have been changed and we have found a new way of life. And it's not by the law. It's by something deeper. It's by love. And this is Romans 8. It doesn't mean that we have license to sin, but I want to show you something here. Uh, Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Okay, this is where we're going to go. Your life has changed this way. Your sin and how much pleasure you have in it has changed, and you have now pleasure in righteousness. This happened to you. It happened. Look at verse chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Now, this is another principle. I'm a little bit, I'm thanks for, keep with me. I'm, I'm, I believe this will come out good, but stay with me in listening. The law could not produce a truth teller. It said, you shall not lie, bear false witness. But could it produce a righteous man? It could say, you shall not commit adultery. And the man with a bad marriage is tempted. But he could not make a righteous man. The law could not. To tell the man not to do that could not take it out of his heart. Or the poor man stealing bread, that could not come out of his heart. The law could not do it. If you were to say to the poor man, you shall not steal, then it cannot, it cannot change the man because he is so hungry that he, he, he cannot, he, maybe he doesn't steal, but he, in all, with all his heart, he is so hungry that he could. The law was weak. Well, the law itself wasn't weak. And Martin Luther, I mean, not Martin Luther, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he made a good illustration. He heard it from a, a preacher. There is a, in the garden, there's a, like a pitchfork or a spade with a wooden handle. The wooden handle is like us. And the metal part, the steel, is like the law. The whole thing is an instrument you could call the law. The law was weak. How? It wasn't weak here. The metal part wasn't weak. It was the handle that was weak. It was us that was weak. Like when Jesus came, he fulfilled the law because he was without sin. Hebrews 4.15 Christ was without sin, and he could fulfill the law and do it perfectly from his heart. If he was hungry, and he was, and the devil said, turn these stones into bread, he would say, no, no, because my life isn't based on that appetite. I'm not living that way. I could, I'm not eating. I haven't eaten for 40 days. My appetite as a man is not controlling my life. God is. 
that we are different because we are sinners and we cannot do it from our hearts. A billionaire cannot do it, a poor man, a man with a good wife, a man with a bad wife, a man under communism lying to the guys that are evil, or a man in another kind of government that's a good government. The law is not enough for us. So we must come to God by faith and say to God, like, like I'm going this way, and i got to say, is there something more? And God says, there is, it's me. And I, I turn to him. I'm not saying I turn 180. I'm just saying I stop because I have enough sense to see that maybe there's something more, and I have a little bit of faith. And he says, turn to me. And I turn to him, or I just look to him. I'm even in the, in the wrong direction. But I look to him, and he turns me. That's the, that's the repentance he gives me. And I start to believe that God is better than my sin. God is better than my own life. God is better than my own way. I start to walk in the faith or walk in the spirit. And Romans 8, 3, and 4 are such good verses. I really want you to kind of focus on these verses this week, if you could. And we're going to read them. It's going to be too fast, but you'll get it. You'll get the gist. And because we still haven't gotten to the message yet. But once we get there, it'll be fun. Romans 8, verse 3, it says, What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Why was it weak? Not the steel prongs like the law, but through my flesh, the wooden handle that would break. And it could not do its job. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. God sent his son. Here, here's a new thought. I never had this before, but I heard it uh, last night. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think. God made man. He became a sinner. You know what God could have done? God could have made another man. Tried it again. Right? He could have made another man. Because if you make another man, maybe that man will obey you. What if you made another man and you just said, don't eat of that tree? You could learn from the other guy, the first Adam. Learn from him like he's under a curse. But I make a new man. God didn't do that, did he? He sent his only son. He sent his son, made like sinful flesh. And that was a theological problem for me as a young Bible college student, wondering if Christ had, you know, like you, he's a human being. He urinated, and I say that in a sacred way. He was a man. He was a human being. He slept. Um, was he ever tired? Was he exhausted? Was he ever hungry? Did he, he bled blood, right? Was he ever discouraged? Not, no, that's the wrong word, but was he ever down? He was a man of sorrow. He was a man. Did any of his hair ever fall out? Did he ever tear a fingernail? I mean, he was a man. Like, what, what does it mean? But he was the son of God. 
He was without sin. So when it says he's in the likeness of sinful flesh, it's important. Because it means he didn't have sinful flesh. He was without sin. Because if Paul had written in Romans 8 verse 3, he could have said this. God sending his own son, own son in sinful flesh. But he didn't. He said he sent him in the likeness of it. He looked like us. He was like us. And they mistook him as just being a man. But he wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. What did this mean? That this huge change, this is the first Adam, and this is the last Adam, Christ. Praise the Lord. It's over. Thank you, God. You did it. You sent your son. And what did it do? Verse 4. For the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, that we would actually have this righteousness, the last Adam made it possible for us to have this uh, kind of picture here. The righteousness might be fulfilled in us that we would have this wealth, this rich new life of truth in us who walk not after the flesh. Now, the word walk means simply your way of life. You walk and live everyday life, practical life. How do you get up in the morning? How do you interact in the kitchen? How do you get in your car to drive to work? When you go to work, how do you enter into the building? What do you watch on the YouTube? How do you walk? How do you live your life? What do you read? What you don't read? What's important to you? How you go on a vacation? How you live every weekend? How do you walk with God? You walk in the Spirit, verse uh, 4. Not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. When you walk after the Spirit, it has an effect on your life personally. So let's go now to the, the last part. Hebrews 11, <clears throat> verse 24. The context is these people that live by faith. Abel lived by faith. Enoch walked by faith. Sarah walked by faith. Noah, verse 7, by faith. Eight, by faith, Abraham. By faith, by faith, Moses. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac, verse 20. By faith, Jacob, verse 21. By faith, Joseph, and so on. You live by faith. We live by faith. So what does it mean in Moses' Moses's life? Verse 24, we have the verbs that I want you to see from verse 24 to 27. We have these verbs. I don't think they're all uploaded, no. Okay, so we have the first one. He refused. Let's look at the verbs. Refused, verse 24. Choosing, verse 25. 
esteeming, verse 26. What else? He had respect. Verse 26, he had, he was esteeming, and then he had respect. And then by faith, verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt. And then he did not fear, he was not fearing. And he endured. Those are the words. Sorry, it is, I don't have it all up there for you. But this is a long list of seven words that really have a lot of meaning to us. When you believe in God and walk this way, you're going this way, now you're a believer, so you're a believer. So now, what do you do? What, how, what's the first verb? Refuse. I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Wait a minute. If I am the son of Pharaoh's daughter, then I'll be the next Pharaoh. I can't lose that. I'm going to be the Pharaoh of Egypt. I'm walking this way. But Moses had something else happen in his heart, in his life. He believed, and God gave him the, the, the ability to refuse. No, I am a Jew. Yeah, but the Jews are slaves in Egypt. They build pyramids and so Yeah, I know. Those are my people. I refuse. Can you refuse things that maybe are for your benefit, for comfort, for your own progress, for your own future, but by faith, can you refuse something like that? Yeah. I, I heard in Baltimore City, uh, the drug dealers, they give you your first drugs are free. You know, it's the next time when you have to pay. Can you refuse? Can I refuse a, a drug, illegal drug? Can I refuse a, some proposition of some kind, a business deal? Can I refuse something? And how do I do it? And how do I know what I should refuse? And why did Moses realize that, no, I'm not, I'm not going with this Egyptian thing. I'm not doing it. I refuse it. I'm a Jew. No, you don't do that, Moses. But then the next verb is which one? He chose, verse 25, choosing, 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 rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy, I think we missed that word, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Choosing. Um, in, in, I, I believe that this choosing word is a word the devil wants to remove from our lives. You have no choice. You know, when you're going this way, I, it's so bad I'm in it, there's no way out. I have no choice. 
the devil, he, he likes to say to you, you don't have a choice. In Islam, they teach that. If you ever change your religion, you will go to hell when you die. You have no choice. You're born a Muslim, you stay a Muslim. Okay. That's the way you have no choice. Parts of the world, you have no choice where you live. That was in Romania in the communist days. Where you lived, the government decided. Where you worked, the government decided. You had no choice. Some parts of the world, you have no choice to have an education. The ladies in Afghanistan have no choice about education. And also who you get married to. You have no choice. But how about us? Wait a minute. When we have God and we're in Egypt, we can choose. Because God gives it to us. And he says, what do you think? And I say, we say, I could enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But how long does sin and the pleasure of it last? Think about different sins. Maybe the pleasure lasts for a day, a night, a week, a month, maybe a year. The pleasure of sin lasts for maybe a couple of years. Maybe, and then the house falls down. How long is the pleasure of sin? But Moses is saying, no, I have faith in God. Wait a minute, I've got God. I believe God. I'm going to deny Egypt. I'm going to choose this. Yeah, it might be suffering, but I've got God in my suffering. I've got God who will lead me in my trouble. I got God as another way of life. I got God who will help me and govern my life and lead me in the way that I should go. Look at verse um, um, 26. Esteeming this one. It means calculating, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Egypt had pyramids, had these uh, mummies, aren't they called mummies? Uh, temples filled with gold, I mean pyramids. There were the temple of the deities, the kings were gods. They were buried with gold and gold coffins. And the whole thing was, uh, was filled with riches. But those riches are nothing compared to what Moses got. Moses got God. He talked to God face to face. He went to the mountain and he met God and he came down from the mountain. He went to God and God sent him to Pharaoh and, and they talked and this went on for like a year or so or 10 months. And every time he, God was behind Moses, Moses became very rich in his faith and example for us. Do you have a story? Do you have a story about your faith? I think you do. You ask Noah, and by the way, these lives were not repeated in detail, in particular. Like Noah built an ark, nobody else did. Abraham left his home like that by faith in that unique sense. But his son didn't, Isaac and Jacob didn't. They stayed at home. And then, um, and then you have the, the unique story of Sarah having a child, of, of Jacob going down um, and, and having 12 sons. And, 
that I'm going down into Egypt and then coming out of Egypt, two and a half million people. And everybody has a story when you live by faith. And your story is not mine. But the essential elements, these seven words, are in your story. These words are the story of your life. You made an evaluation that this is better than the other way. You esteem it. In verse 26, for he had respect unto the reward, and that's this word, had respect unto the reward. He started to feel it in his heart. This is better. It's like a mess. But but God, his hand is on us. Red Sea is divided. We're on the other side. The Egyptians, it says in Exodus 14, that the bodies of the Egyptians were washed up on the shore. That must have been an incredible sight. The Jews are alive on the other side. Everyone made it. It says in the Psalm, not one feeble one came out of you. Not one was feeble. Now, out of two and a half million people, you would think somebody would be lame. Somebody would be pregnant, somebody would be stumbling, somebody would be struggling with the journey. But it says there was not one feeble one among them. Isn't that amazing? And I think that's like in the rapture. When we go up, not one ungodly person will be amongst us. It is all over and gone, for Christ took it away. And when we go, we'll go with his without spot and blemish, well, ultimately through the Bema Sea. Let's finish this, verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt. Can you forsake Egypt? It's all around us. Can you forsake it in your heart? Can the righteousness of Christ in your heart, does that righteousness kind of be in our hearts at times. It is a struggle, to be honest. Sometimes my sin nature gravitates to Egypt. Like Lot's wife turned back to look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus said, remember that story. Remember Lot's wife. Remember how you are wired to like this other way. But then, on the other hand, forsake it. Forsake it. And don't fear the wrath of the king, verse 27. For he endured, Moses endured, as seeing who is, him who is invisible. Amen. Okay, we don't worry about it. Don't fear it. We esteem it highly, walk in it, and enjoy it. It really is amazing. It's amazing. I can't believe the way we live. I, I, I just love it so much. I can't believe how good it is. And it grows in you. And, and it, it's a habit. It becomes a way of life. And you're able to refuse and deny and you esteem highly and you have respect for what is happening. And we realize that one day we're going to be perfect without spot or blemish and being face to face with Christ. Amen.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time in Florida. It was amazing with our brothers and sisters there. Many faithful, godly servants that walk with you and lead others. We pray for that state and those churches and those sisters and brothers and their work. Thank you, Lord, for them. And then here, Lord, that there were there are so many people that need to get their bearings. What's the precious thing that is in front of us? How we, we have a desire that grows in our hearts and a focus on it. A walk in it. It says, the light of the righteous shall shine brighter and brighter into the perfect day. And it really does happen with us. It gets clearer and clearer. Yes, Lord, and we pray for those that are learning to walk with you. Bless them in it. And then anyone who is not yet a believer, we want to give you an invitation to become one. It's a decision you make. God calls you. God is not willing that any would perish. God has his elect. He has chosen you. Make a decision in your heart and say to God, I believe or trust you. Draw me. Uh, I'm going to turn to you today and follow you. Repent from my way. And turn me, Lord, and I'll be turned. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.